0: Hi, this is
1: Snake from Skid Row. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Sean from WMGM. Good to talk to you. Hi, Sean. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. How are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm great. Life is really good. Life is very good.
1: All right, man. Well, I know you're gearing up for this tour with uh, Kicks, and uh, you're going to be hitting Harris here in Atlantic City. Have you ever played Atlantic City before?
0: We did a bunch of years ago. Um, My gosh. It had to be five, six years ago, maybe even longer. I mean, you know, that's our neck of the woods, though. So it's like always coming home is always a good thing. Being able to play in your home state or the surrounding areas, you always feel like it's you got a lot of
1: family there. Most of the times you do. Nice. Nice. I know you are a Jersey boy. I've lived in Jersey my entire life as well. It's good to have you coming down here. So what is, what's going on with Skid Row? I mean, obviously you feel the million questions about Sebastian and you guys, and then you've had uh, a few lineup changes over the years. And of course the last uh, year or so with the singers who's singing for you now and how's it
0: going? Well, yeah, we've had uh, we've had a few lineup changes. That's for sure. Um, We've got, uh, the guy that's singing with us now is this guy, Z.P. Theret from, uh, T-H-E-A-R-T, from, was in Dragon Force for a while, and uh, he's been a friend of the band's for a while, so when uh, things fell out with Tony Harnell, we said, look, we've got a bunch of dates that we we need to, you know, fulfill our obligation. Would you be able to come in and, you know, and do them, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, man, no problem." And and so he came over from the UK, and he, he's just been doing a great job. And I can't thank him enough. He's really, really been stepping up to the plate. He's a uh, he's a hard worker, man. He's a good guy. He doesn't he's not afraid to get his you know his hands dirty, and uh, he's a team player. And he um he brings a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of positivity. Situation and uh, that we had been I believe we had been lacking a bit. Uh, prior to that so for us it's been a lot of fun man and and we cut back on our schedule a bit this year uh due to that you know due to having a, a change in it in the singer or something like that um and then we're going to figure out what we're going to do more towards the end of the year for next year but right now we're kind of just going out and and doing uh you know a few shows every week and, uh, and enjoying it, to be quite honest. It's been a lot of fun, and is a great guy. And uh, I'm very thankful that he's been able to step up to the plate the way he has.
1: Still located in Jersey? You still live here?
0: I live in Long Island now. I was in, uh, I was in Jersey, you know, most of my life. I went out to California for about 11 years, and that was about 12 years too long. And then came back <laughs> uh, to the East Coast and uh, settled out here in Long Island.
1: Nice, nice, man. Um, you know, I love
0: it. I love being. Uh, you know what the funny thing is, man. I mean, it, with all due respect, LA is is you know the weather's great and the, the locale and everything like that. And there's a lot of stuff going on. But it's like I'm just an East Coast guy, man. And I don't know how else to put it, but I, I really <laughs> felt the pull of uh, from the moment I got out there. I always felt the pull of the East Coast to bring me back here, and so. It's great to be back in um, this side of the of the of the country, and to be able to be around my friends and family and stuff like that. It's just a it feels right, and uh, you know, being up here in Long Island, the people have been fantastic to me, and have you know, it's just been it's been a really great experience, and. Well, you know, I'm a Jersey boy through and through, and I I make that known every chance I get.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, I mean, obviously, you you got your start back in the 80s, and And uh, I'll tell you this, one of my earliest concert experiences when I was 12, 13 years old, I got to see you guys on your first tour at the Spectrum opening up for Bon Jovi. Saw it a handful of times. I saw you at the Starland a few years ago. What's the difference, besides different members, obviously, but what's the difference between touring back then and touring now? And do do you still love it and still enjoy getting up on that stage?
0: Well, at the end of the day, yeah. uh, That To me, I'm, I'm, and I say this pretty much every night on stage to the audience, is that, I'm absolutely humbled that and I feel a great sense of gratitude towards the audience because I'm allowed and it's because of, of the people who come to the shows, I'm allowed to play music for a living. And it's an incredible gift. And I you know, I don't I don't know how much that affects other people who, you know, get get the same opportunity that I have. But for me personally, it's extremely humbling. And uh, I think I've always felt that way. This just, that's where I, that's where I love to be. I love to be able to perform these songs that, you know, I've helped create with people that I really, really adore being with. And that is, that's pretty awesome. That, you know, at this point in my life, I still get to do that. And that I still get the same um, fulfillment out of it. But back in the day when we were touring Bon Jovi, obviously it was a different day and age, and the music business was completely different uh, the and the, you know people who uh purchased and listened to music it was just a, it was a different way you know, but all things change I, I don't lament the past in any way I'm, I'm absolutely thankful for the experience that we had through all those years and the people that I was able to experience those times with. And, thankful and, and uh, proud to have been a part of all that. We were young and dumb and, and um, but it was, it was such an amazing learning experience because you really, touring with bands like Bon Jovi who were absolute at the top of their A-game man uh, and they had the Bon Jovi and Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses and, and then you know bringing out Pantera with us and, and having Soundgarden out with us at one point as well These bands all taught us so much, and that education is absolutely, you know, uh, you can't put a dollar sign on that. It's priceless. And I think all those experiences brought me and and our guys to where we are now, where we'll still get up on uh, pretty much any stage. And if there's people there, we're going to play our asses off and our hearts out. Because that's that's what we do, and that's who we are. And we really, really do understand the magnitude of the fact of people paying money and choosing to come see your band on any given night. That's a heavy thing, man. There's a lot that goes into that. There's A lot of thought from a person to go. You know what? Next Saturday night, or whatever, you know, I'm going to I'm going to purchase a ticket. And I'm going to go see Skid Row and Kicks at Harris um, and uh I've gotta get a babysitter or do whatever and do all these <laughs> other things and make arrangements just to come see your band. That's pretty heavy, man. No, I mean no. I don't I, I, I don't think that I agree. lightly at all. Yeah. i don't take it lightly at all. And I know there's a lot of people out there uh and, and you know, other musicians and stuff that just show up and they, and you know, whatever. That's fine. But for me it's a uh it's not about, you know, showing up, it's about, you know, standing up and and, and Basically, just making sure that you perform to your utmost ability, and, and uh, she lets people know how appreciative you are for the fact that they're there.
1: Yeah, that's a great attitude to have, and that's probably why people they keep coming out to hear you uh, play those uh, classic Skid Row tunes. Uh, you know, as you say, you know, at the end of the year, you're going to figure out what next year is going to bring. Does that, uh, by any chance, have anything to do with maybe some new Skid Row music?
0: Yeah, definitely. We're always going to make music. Uh, I mean. Rachel and I talk about this all the time, and again, it's a, it's a completely different ball game, you know. Uh, but we always wrote music for ourselves. Uh, I mean, so, songwriting is a selfish act. You have to write for yourself first. You can't write to placate or try to satiate somebody else's needs uh, or, or wants. Um, uh, then you might as well you might as well just be a robot in that case. For me and Rachel, it's always been about. The need to express ourselves. Uh, ever since we first picked up a guitar, first started writing songs on our own, and then later, in you know, our early twenties when we got together, it was about this need to express ourselves, uh, and the only way that we were capable of doing it was was through music. Um, and then we found, when we found each other and started making music together, we realized that, wow, jamming with this dude is going to allow me to express myself even further, and and more fully, and so that's why we've, we've continued to write songs all these years, because that's, that's the payoff for us, is working together, we're able to get everything out of ourselves, completely, whereas maybe, uh, in many ways, before that, we, we weren't able to, just on our own, uh, there was pieces missing, and that's the beauty of, of working with another writer, and one as prolific, and as talented as Rachel, so that still exists, um, that the core, of, still to this day, the core of who we are is, you know, two guys who still stand in front of the mirror, want to be Gene Simmons or Ace Freely or you know whomever, uh, Joe Perry and, and Tom Hamilton or whomever the case may be, it's still those guys, those 16 year old kids with those that 16 year old fire and and want and desires to uh, create something special and to pursue that. There is, it's very difficult to put a, a value on the process and the culmination of writing what in you, your heart you believe is a great song. That feeling of uh, accomplishment before anybody else in the world hears it is it's immeasurable, it's re- and, it's, and it's great that... For both of us, uh, we still feel that way. When we sit down, we write a song, and we feel at the end of the at the end of when the song we feel is complete, and we've we've done our very best to complete that song and say everything we need to say within the structure of that vehicle. And we feel it's it just it touches us on a, on a level that's very difficult to describe. Uh, the the sense of accomplishment uh, and gratitude is 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 pretty incredible.
1: I can tell by just you talking about it how much you still love. Your job and it, and it, uh, listen, I I come in and I play music on the radio and I get to chat music with people. I don't even look at it as a job, and I'm sure I, I get the feeling you don't really feel that way as well.
0: No, playing music playing music is not a job at, at all. all. <laughs> everything else that surrounds that is, yeah. you know, everything else that goes goes around it, the business aspect of it, that's certainly a job. Um, but I'll tell you what, I mean, just JLP doesn't have to be a dirty word, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I get I get to do. I, first of all, I chose to do this, and the fact that I still can choose to do this uh, on a on a level that still satisfies me artistically and uh, provides a living for my family and I and uh, all the people that will, that work with us, you know, it's a pretty incredible set of circumstances. But yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly a job to it, but the, the playing, going up there and playing and. Uh, that's not not the job part of it. That's uh, the
1: payoff. Before I let you go, I I wanted to ask you this, and I I, I came across a a VCR. Yes, I still have one that works. (laughs) And I had, from back in the day, the Moscow Peace Festival. And I remember seeing that way, way back in the day. I think my sister, like, got the pay-per-view or something. What was it like being on that stage? There's so many people in that crowd, and obviously it was it was groundbreaking with all the artists that were there. But to get up on stage and look at a sea of people like that, what was that feeling like? What was that like?
0: Uh, it made me feel like an amoeba <laughs> and a giant all at the same time. You realize that you're, you know, you're you're 23 year old kid, 24 year old kid at the time, and you realize. In the, in the simplest terms, that you you are actually a part of something really historic. The funniest thing about that to me was being in a hard rock heavy metal band with a bunch of other guys who were, uh, many of which were far more accomplished than we were, and the fact that all these guys who, you know, we 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 turned to music as our as our sole expressive tool, and it was our sense of rebellion against what norm. And what uh, and what a society expected or thought of us, the fact that we are all gathered as these misfits and uh, social outcasts I you say together and we' we we're, were creating a uh, collectively a an historic moment this is, there's there's irony in that and um, the way that uh, it still is people still talk about it is, is pretty incredible um, and the fact that yeah, well, we went on. We went on stage at, in the afternoon. Uh, that was at Lennon Stadium, and the last time something had been on. Uh, the last time that the major event was held there was the 1980 Olympics, wow. in which in which the United States had boycotted. And so we were getting ready to go on stage, and they light the Olympic torch, and it's the first time it had been lit since 1980, and the U.S. boycotted. It. it was really. I don't know if I fully understood the the significance or the magnitude of that mm-hmm. uh, at the time, but I did to a certain degree, and it definitely had a an indelible left an indelible mark. I mean, we so are still talking about it to this day, but it just really struck me as pretty incredible uh, of being again this little single celled animal in this in this sea of humanity, you know, and <laughs> so uh, that that it makes you feel really small, and and but yet. You feel like a giant because you're up there in front of these people, not only the 70 or 75,000 people that are in that audience, but I think it was broadcast to 180 countries or some ungodly figure like that. So, you know, when you think about it, which I did, of all the people that have the opportunity to see this thing and that they're, you know, they're going to see your band up there, it was heavy, man. It was heavy looking across the stage, you know literally a bunch of young, young dudes, really young, made even younger by our naivete and, and uh, the fact that, you know, we got a group of guys from a couple small towns in New Jersey. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden you're playing Moscow. And, you know, you're brought up in that day and age. At the end, that's basically the end Cold War occurring right there. But, you know, in the, in the years before that, in, in school and stuff, you're taught that they're the bad guys. So, you know, they're the evil empire, man. That's, the, you know, growing up, that's what you're taught. The Russians are evil and this and that and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> All of a sudden you're playing with a bunch of, you know, Westerners uh, on the, on, uh, you know, cross enemy lines. And you know what? It's, they weren't so evil. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they weren't what, what we were taught that they were. The people themselves were, you know, the people that were there. They were the same as us, man. You know, some pretty important things occurred on that trip for me personally and how really important it is to be able to have the privilege of experiencing other cultures and, you know, the power of education. But more importantly, I think the biggest lesson I learned there was the enormity and impact that music has and that, above all, it is, it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's an international language that supersedes politics and geographical barriers and spiritual barriers, dialects. It, it, it supersedes that. It overcomes that. It's the, it's the universal language. And point in case, we're, uh, or case in point, we are um, in Red Square at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And there was a group of us. Uh, Dave Bryan from bon Jovi was there. Uh, a couple other people. I think Pico Torres was there. And I was there. Some of the guys from my band, some other bands were there. Anyway, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, we were in Red Bank. I'm in Red, Bank, Red Square. Red Bank. Red Bank. <laughs> 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 I didn't that's catch that at quite, first either. <laughs> that's happened quite a few times, too. So we're in, we're in Red Square, and there's this kid who can't speak a word in English. But the only English he knows is he's singing with an acoustic guitar. He's singing uh, "Yesterday" by the Beatles. It just floored me. I mean, he captured my attention and sang it so beautifully, as if he had written it. Made eye contact with him. He made eye contact with me, and there was just that moment there that I will never ever forget. And we communicated because of the beauty of music and, and the language that it is. Somehow there was a connect there because of that moment, that song and, and him performing it. So, you know, these random things that occur that really are profound and makes you realize that I don't know your religion, I don't know your language, I don't know your you know, uh, anything about your upbringing or your uh, your education, none of that. But I'll mm-hmm. tell you what, you can play a song that make me smile, that's more important than any of that other crap.
1: Listen, man, I'm going to let you go. You're going to be here, Harris, November 12th, Skid Row Kicks. We are looking forward to it, having a lot of fun doing the tickets, man. And I'll say this, and I know this isn't the first time you've heard this, but when you're putting that set list together, don't, don't ignore that subhuman race record. (laughs) <laughs>
0: okay. Thank you. I
1: appreciate that. I love that record, man. I love those first three records. They're part of the soundtrack of me growing up. I've always been a big Gittero fan and I appreciate the music and I love the way you talk about it and how you love it and you still appreciate it. It's been a privilege, man. Thanks for uh taking some time out.
0: Privilege is all mine, man. Thank you for giving me the uh the line for a little while.
1: Not a problem. We'll see you in November.
0: See you on the twelfth, man.